Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. The story you're about to hear is a true birth story. It's the real deal, and it may not be appropriate for sensitive ears. On today's episode... The hard part for me about this is that I was so lucky that my doctor was high risk. But there are so many women who do not get diagnosed with this until they've lost a pregnancy. And that was just unbelievable to me. I cannot believe that you have to lose a baby before somebody says, okay, well, the next time we'll put a stitch in so you'll be okay. If I had had any doctor other than my own, this pregnancy would not have survived. Welcome to the Birth Podcast, Episode 5. Are you in the mood for twins? Because today is part one of a two-part birth story that is filled with so many exciting and surprising details. I just couldn't, in good conscience, edit out all those important moments. So buckle up. This is a two-part adventure. Today, our mom is a first-time mother of twins who shares about the loneliness and isolation of being the last in your friend group to conceive. She details the emotional roller coaster of what it's like to try for a baby for years with no success. She also had a high-risk pregnancy because she has cystic fibrosis, so we talk about that. She also had a bunch of other crazy complications in her journey, like being diagnosed with an incompetent cervix, being put on strict bed rest, having an irritable uterus. Oh, we talk about all this and so much more. I'm so glad you're here. Let's jump right in. I'm Christy Williams, and this is Birth. Did you always know you wanted to be a mother? I did, but I never knew if it would be a possibility because I've got cystic fibrosis, okay. which is a genetic lung disease and digestive disease. It is terminal, so it will potentially, you know, cause early lifespan. Right now, the average lifespan for someone with cystic fibrosis is 36. And I'm 36. So wow. So you, are, you lived your whole life with that knowledge. Yeah. So we never knew from, from when I was diagnosed at five, my original lifespan was going to be 12. Wow. So yeah, which was crazy. Wow. And then I hit 12 and they were like, okay, maybe 15. And I hit 15 and they were like, all right, well, probably 20. Then I hit 20 and they were like, well, we'll just see what happens. Wow. Yeah. So that must have given you a very real perspective on what you wanted in life. Yeah. So you get, you, you do, you have a very, very like, this is, I've got to do it. If I'm going to do it, I've got to do it now because I can't put it off two years. I can't put right. it off three years. If I want right. it, I've got to go for it. And part of the disease is that it can affect your reproductive system. Okay. And so it, there are a lot of women who struggle to get pregnant. It's usually IVF is, is what it takes. Um, most males with the disease can't actually have kids. Oh, wow. It, okay. Their reproductive systems don't even fully form. So from the time I, like, we started talking about it when I was little, it was always like, we don't know if you'll be able to. We don't know if your body will let you get pregnant. We don't know if your body will let you carry to term. We don't know if, even if you do get pregnant and you get halfway, we may make ha have to make a decision of either you or the baby. Wow. So when I started dating my husband, 
I think it was a month in that I was honest with him. And I said, look, I can't guarantee natural children. Like, so if this is something that is 100% important to you and you have to have this, I don't want to waste your time and I don't want to waste my time with this relationship. Wow. And I laid it all out on the table of like, let's just not, because I don't want to get two years down the road and fall in love and and then then tell you and have it be this huge disaster. I was like, I just want you to know this is not something that if you want kids, we possibly have to go adoption or it's going to be a hard road. Wow. Yeah. How did that must have really given clarity to your relationship early on then? I mean, what was his response? He I think his response was like, okay, this girl is like no nonsense. Like I like it. She's not going to play games with me. She's not going to be ridiculous. Like all right. And for him, his dad was adopted. So he was open to adoption and he was open to other forms of having kids. So he was like, I'm fine. That's great. I love you. We'll yeah. we'll do this. We'll have kids however we have kids. If we have kids, we'll get there when we get there, but it's fine. Wow. So you dated for how long before you decided to get married? Uh, we were we dated for a year and a half before he proposed and oh. then we were engaged for a year and a half. Amazing. So. And then did you, since you knew you wanted to try having kids, did you start right away? Or how, what was the process of talking to your doctor? And what is that like knowing that you have potential complications from right away? How was your conception journey, I guess? So we knew we wanted to start having kids maybe two years. We were like, we want to give ourselves a chance to get married. But we also didn't get married until I was 31, almost 31, and he was 34. So we were thinking, okay, we can't wait too long, Mm -hmm. but we do want to enjoy being married for Mm -hmm. a little bit. So we gave ourselves two years and then started talking to my doctor about my health, my lung health, my body health overall, and my doctors were on board. They basically said, you look great. Let's, we'll, you know, go ahead and try for as long as you feel comfortable trying. And then if it doesn't work, we'll figure out what the next step is. Okay. And so at the kind of roughly the two-year mark, we... We met with a high-risk doctor just to kind of go over the little bits and pieces of what we could be in for, what we're looking at, make sure everything looked okay. And she said, go ahead and try. So we started and we tried for a little over three years. Oh, wow. So you yeah. just tried on your own without intervention for yeah. three years? Okay. Mm-hmm. And it started out with like, okay, we're not going to be careful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We're not trying, but we're not not trying. And we did that for maybe six months. Okay. And then I started taking ovulation tests and tracking things and, you know, not going too hardcore because we still kind of wanted to enjoy it a little bit. But like, hey, if we're going to do it, we should probably do it within the next 24 hours type of thing. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So we did that for maybe six months. And then at that point, it was like, we got to the, okay, we have to do it. When you start trying, trying, then it becomes not fun. Yeah, that was going to be my next question was, how does that affect you emotionally when every month you're probably taking a pregnancy test? Or were you waiting just to miss your period? Or Every month just waiting to miss my period. I was very regular. So it was like, I knew this is the day. If it doesn't come today then maybe I should take a pregnancy test. And it would, like, every month come on that day. 
Okay. And so... So when it wasn't taking, and then you said, okay, yeah. we need to do this now, then what, what did you do? So basically, it was kind of a lonely experience, because we were the only ones that we knew that hadn't gotten pregnant. All of our close friends were successful, as far as we knew. You know, it's it's unfortunately one of those things that a lot of people don't talk about, mm-hmm. is that we're trying and we're... But it's not working. We we tried to be as open as we could about it to let people know, just in case somebody else was going through that, or that way I could find other friends and be like, okay, we can go through this together. Yeah. But at the three-year mark was kind of that point where we were like, okay, this definitely isn't going to work for us. Mm-hmm. We kind of need extra help. And so we started looking into fertility we went we talked to my cystic fibrosis team and they gave us a fertility clinic and we actually did have our first fertility appointment where we went we met with a doctor we kind of went over everything it was going to take how long it was going to take how expensive it was going to be all the steps and after looking at it we kind of looked at our schedule for the next year mm-hmm. and this was we met with a fertility doctor in October Then we looked at our schedule for the next year and decided, okay, we have too much on our plate. We were doing home renovations. We had weddings. We had parties. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't want to be pregnant through any of that. And if we're spending all this money to try to make a baby, I'm not going to have it happen during this crazy stressful time where we're traveling and flying and the house is torn apart. And Mm -hmm. So we'll wait till after that. And we'll do fertility down the road, like towards the end of the next year. Mm-hmm. But for the time being, let's we'll meet with other doctors. We'll start getting everything good. We'll make sure that there aren't too many other issues. So I had set up an appointment with my gynecologist. They were going to check my tubes, make sure that everything else was clear, clean out my system so that we were 100% ready to go. Like with cystic fibrosis, mm-hmm. the way the disease works is that your body just makes extra mucus and it's super thick. And one of the reasons you can't get pregnant is that it will block your fallopian tubes. Gotcha. And Um. so sometimes that's the issue. Sometimes the issue is that your body just doesn't release eggs. Sometimes the issue is that your body won't let the egg implant. Mm. Um, But you don't know until you get in there. So the first step with cystic fibrosis and infertility is to go in and have your fallopian tubes cleaned out. Wow. What's that procedure like? It's actually not too bad as far as I know. Okay. Um, Wait, were you put to sleep, I'm assuming? I didn't have it done. (laughs) Oh, oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I thought they I were going to do it. Oh, my God. I had an appointment to have it done. Okay. But I found out I was pregnant literally the week before that appointment. Oh, my God. Yeah. Amazing. So we had, so we just had it in our head, like, all right, we'll get down the road. We'll, we'll start doing this. We'll party. We'll hang out. We'll get my tubes cleaned out. We'll get my everything else good and ready to go. And we went to Big Bear on a snowboarding trip. I was in the hot tub. I think I was living <laughs> on a diet of like alcohol and French fries. Oh it was God. the it was uh, what I say is they have all these steps when it comes to infertility that you're supposed to do when mm-hmm. you get ready for having a baby and doing um, IVF or IUI. And it's one of those things where like eat clean, no alcohol, get enough sleep, don't get in a hot tub, don't take too hot baths. And we literally did the exact opposite (laughs) for two weeks. I drank every single day because we had friends leaving. We had weddings. We had parties. I was like, I think I've had alcohol 
every day for two weeks. We went up to Big Bear, <laughs> snowboarded. I took like a really hard fall, was in a hot tub that was way too hot for probably six hours. Like wow. didn't sleep at all. My husband and I were up for maybe 48 hours straight at one point. It was crazy. We were all over the place, super stressed because the house was torn apart. Right. Um, breathing in dirt and dust and absolutely everything you shouldn't do to conceive a baby. And that's when it worked. That is so amazing. Yeah. But tell me how you found out. What was that? What was that like that <laughs> moment? It was really, it was really funny. We still joke. It was our five year anniversary. And we were supposed to go out for dinner that weekend. We were thinking about maybe a weekend away. And our anniversary was on Sunday and Friday night. I was like, I just don't feel very good. I think I may have eaten something bad at work. And he goes, okay, well, we'll see if you feel better tomorrow. And maybe maybe we'll go somewhere, maybe not. Saturday, all day long, I was like, I have food poisoning. This is awful. I feel terrible. And at this point, I'm not tracking anything either. I'm like, my period will come. It comes every month. I don't even care, whatever. So I'm not paying attention to dates. I'm not paying attention to anything. I know it's supposed to happen somewhere around here. And so I was like, I've got food poisoning. It's terrible. And then Sunday came and I still felt sick. And my husband was like, you don't get food poisoning for three days. And I was like, oh, well, maybe it's the flu. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. So we just didn't do anything. We hung out all weekend. And Monday, I woke up and was like, oh, maybe I was supposed to start my period. I don't know. Well, you know what? I'll take a pregnancy test anyway, because this is literally what I thought. And all girls will understand this thinking of what kind of underwear should I wear to work today? <laughs> <laughs> like, should I put on right. the fancy underwear or should I put on my granny panties? Right. So I'll take a pregnancy test. And this is Monday morning right after I got out of the shower. And I take a test and it comes back positive. And I was like, there's no way. You know what? This test is broken. It's oh definitely broken. I bet it's from like ovulation tests from like a couple of years ago because I've been buying boxes of ovulation tests now for mm -hmm. three years. So, you know, I'll take another one. I'll take one from my new box. And so I take one and it comes back positive again. Was Did like, it turn right away? Right away. Immediately. Yeah. Immediately. You were very pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Very pregnant. It was like, um, you know, that was broken too. <laughs> so I got out because I had like I had a bunch of different brands at this point because like I'd taken one when I was somewhere else and just brought the second one back with me and so I took another brand and that one came back positive like before even the test line showed up so uh, you're are you by yourself during I'm this? by myself in the bathroom okay and now I've got three positive pregnancy tests that I'm staring at I'm like I'm also supposed to get dressed and go to work right now <laughs> Which underwear did you wear? <laughs> it was like, great. Guess I get to like wear my fancy stuff today. And so I was like, holy cow, how did this happen? How did this happen? I've done nothing right to get pregnant in the last month. And, and after now I'm three pregnant. years. And after three years. Suddenly. Suddenly pregnant. Was your husband home? So he was in the shower. Okay. He was in a different bathroom. I was in my own, taking pregnancy tests, found out I'm pregnant freaking out on the inside. Years ago when we had started, I had bought these shirts online for our dogs. 
And one says, I'm going to be a big brother. And the other one says, my parents are getting me a human. And I had had them in a drawer for two and a half years at this point, shoved in the back. And he had no idea that I had bought these shirts or owned them or anything. And so... I'm tearing up. That's so cute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was so... And so while he got in the shower, because I always showered first, I put these shirts on the dogs. And... When he got out of the shower, I was like, hey, you should see what your dogs are wearing because it was a joke in our house. Sometimes we would, like, throw a T-shirt on them or he'd put his boxers on a dog or they would have socks on their noses. Like, it was just a joke. And so he was like, what do you mean I should see what my dogs are wearing? I was like, you should see what I put on your dogs. And I really wanted to catch it on camera, Mm -hmm. but I also realized, like, oh, he's getting out of the shower right now. I don't think anyone's going to want to watch this video. So it's fine. (laughs) We'll just, you know, we'll we'll leave this, we'll keep it as our own little moment between the two of us. That's funny. And basically he called the dogs into the bathroom and he was like, what are you wearing? What's it say? What? 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 And then just started crying. And couldn't say anything. Aww. And he was like, are you, are you serious? I was like, yeah, I'm serious. That's Completely so serious. And so then we just stood there, like, hugging and crying, you know, for the next 45 minutes. Oh, my God. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Oh, you guys. And it was unbelievable. Like, we just couldn't, couldn't believe that I was pregnant. Yeah. After, because we had it so built up in our heads of like it was going to be such a long process, and financially and physically taxing, it was just yeah, going to be crazy. Yeah, wow, mm-hmm. wow, what a gorgeous moment! Yeah. Oh, getting me all weepy. <laughs> um, amazing. So you had said that you were feeling kind of like sick already. How far mm-hmm. along were you when you found out? Was it like five weeks? Four weeks. Four weeks. Okay. Yeah. So so you already had more, some morning sickness starting. So, But that was the only morning sickness I got. Oh, wow. I was only sick the first weekend and then I never got sick again once we got, wow. got through that first weekend. So it was just like wow. this rush of crazy amount of hormones yeah. and then my body yeah. totally tolerated the rest of the pregnancy. Wow. So when did you have your first appointment with the doctor? So I had an appointment scheduled um, a week and a half from that because I had an appointment scheduled to have my tubes cleaned out. Oh, wow. So it was already set up. So it was already set up. So in between when I got the first pregnancy test and when that appointment was going to happen, I still didn't believe it. Mm. And so I got home from work that night and I took two more pregnancy tests. Oh, my God. And I woke up the next morning and I took another pregnancy test. Too good to be true. And then got home. I have a Ziploc bag full <laughs> of positive pregnancy tests. I think I took a test every day for the first like five days and then got to day five and was like, well, they're still positive. So wow. definitely pregnant. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He was just like, are you going to stop taking them? Like, I, maybe. But it's kind of like I... the equivalent of pinching yourself yeah. a little bit just to make sure. Right. Because there's a lot of fear in the beginning that you don't want to like jinx it or something. Mm-hmm. So I have a huge Ziploc bag full of pregnancy oh tests. Oh my God. Like all different brands, all Love different. It. I was like, I'm taking all of them. I've been waiting three years. I've got a yeah. drawer full of them. Let's just take all of them right now. It's fine. Might as well. Love it. Yeah. So I had the appointment and I told my husband, yeah, there's no reason for you to go. 
they're not going to do anything. They'll tell me it's positive and they'll send me home. Like she's just, she doesn't do anything special. I just want to go in and get the confirmation. So I go to the appointment and my husband goes to work just like normal. He's like, just let me know how it goes. I'm like, okay. And because I was going to have procedures done, they had me in their fancy room with the ultrasound machine. And she's like, we're here. We might as well take a look. The internal ultrasound? Yeah, the internal. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, my goodness. Really? Oh, yeah. Really? I'm going to get, like, we're going to take the first look today. And she was like, yeah, there's a good chance we could possibly see the heartbeat. I was like, and at this point, I was five weeks and five days. So very early. But she said, yeah. "There's we could possibly see stuff. We'll at least yeah. see, you know, see that, make sure that it's not an empty sac, make sure that it's not an ectopic pregnancy. So she warned you about the possibilities? Yeah. yeah. So she said, just we'll just make sure that everything looks good because mm-hmm. if there is something wrong and we catch it this early, it, you know, it can be a much better outcome as far as we can help you before your body gets too far along with an ectopic pregnancy or with an empty sac or with anything, any of the other complications that can possibly happen. So what does a doctor look for in that first ultrasound? Well, your doctor is looking to confirm how far along you are in your gestation, and they also want to make sure that your pregnancy is normal and viable, meaning that they want to check that the location of the embryo is in the right place, and also if there's even a viable embryo in there at all. Sometimes there's an abnormality that is nothing that you did and the embryo just stops growing. Sometimes and more rarely the embryo does implant in the wrong place, meaning anywhere that's not inside your uterus. And this is called an ectopic pregnancy. Almost all ectopic pregnancies, more than 90%, occur in a fallopian tube. So as the pregnancy grows, it can cause the tube to burst or rupture, and a rupture can cause major internal bleeding. This can be life-threatening and need immediate surgery. This is rare, but it can happen. I was very naive when I went to my first ultrasound. I had had some early bleeding, and so I think around about six weeks, I went with my husband to the doctor just to check it out. They said, come on in, we'll take an ultrasound. And it didn't even really occur to me that there could be no embryo or that I might have an ectopic pregnancy because I never really thought about it. It was my first pregnancy, you know, and the doctor took a look and he found the sac was in the right place and that there was indeed an embryo and there was indeed a heartbeat. And he said, oh, great, Uh, I can give you some good news today. Everything looks good. I'm glad I didn't have to give you any bad news. And immediately I thought, oh, you know, like, how naive am I that I didn't even consider that there could be an alternative and that I could be experiencing a non-viable pregnancy? But so many women have their first ultrasound be a huge disappointment It's a touchy subject. There's nothing you did. It just happens sometimes. Most of the time, everything's going to be fine and everything's going to be viable. But I just want to talk about it because most of the time, what we hear from other women is pregnancy success and healthy, normal pregnancies and everything's fine. And most women don't talk about pregnancy loss and pregnancy trauma and the emotional and physical toll that that takes on your body and mind and spirit. So it's just good to have some awareness and be prepared mentally for that possibility and also know that 
probably a lot of women in your life have experienced early pregnancy loss or early pregnancy trauma or ectopic pregnancy, and you would never know because they just don't talk about it. I just think it's important to raise a little awareness so that you understand what women go through. My goodness, because it's a lot. Let's get back to the conversation. So she does the internal ultrasound, and it's one of those where they screen, it's a giant screen across from me, and I can see everything that she's doing on this massive, giant television screen. And I'm kind of looking, and if you've never been pregnant before, you have no idea really what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. She finds where the baby is, and she was like, oh my goodness, there are two. And you're sitting there alone in a dark room looking at a giant TV screen. And I'm there by myself. And I was like, there is no fucking way. There are two. (laughs) (laughs) And she goes, yes, there are two. I was like, nope, no, but there's there's not. And she goes, but there is. There are two. Wow. And my, my heart stopped. My world was like, what is happening? I start crying. She starts crying because she had known how long we've been trying for babies. She was so happy. She just couldn't couldn't believe it. Oh, wow. It was just like... And everything looked great, huh? And at that point, we were able to see both sacs. We were able to see that they were independent, that they would end up being potentially fraternal uh, die-die twins is what they're called, where they each have their own sac and their own placenta, which is the least complicated of twins okay great i was curious about if they they would have their own placenta Mm -hmm. so they had basically two completely separate eggs fertilized completely at separate times it's like having two pregnancies wow happening at the same time wow it's basically what it was oh my gosh so you saw the sex but you didn't see heartbeat or we didn't see heartbeats but we did see shadows Okay. So she was like, that's a really, really good sign at this age. Wow. That a lot of times you don't even see the shadows yet. So the fact that we see two shadows, she was pretty confident. But she did send me home with the warning of, we don't know. It's still really early. You can have one disappear. You can have only one with a heartbeat. Right. But my thought leaving that day was that I, at least right now, have two chances for for one healthy pregnancy. Yes. You know, we'd been trying for so long that even just to have one would be great. And so, you know, it happens so often that you get pregnant, a lot more often than people understand and people recognize that you get pregnant and you lose it. Mm -hmm. It was like, we've got two chances right now. Yeah. And also you can get pregnant and you did. Yeah. And it happened and my body did it naturally and my body wants it. I guess. Yeah. And now I was like, my body must extra want it. Right. <laughs> so that's amazing. Was, so I left freaking out. Yeah. So the car ride. Um, did you, when did you call your husband? Well, so the appointment took much longer than I anticipated it. And my husband during that whole time then is texting me. And I'm like, I can't text him back. I can't tell him through text message. I get in the car. I'm like trying my hardest not to cry. And I just tell him like, hey, everything looks great. I want to come to your office and I want to show you. Oh, because you got the the ultrasound photo. Yeah. (gasps) Oh my God. Because she had given us an ultrasound photo. And I was like, I just want to come to your office. I've got the first picture. I didn't say the first picture of our babies. I just said, Uh. I've got the first picture. I want to come to your office and show you. And he was like, oh, okay. I'm just trying my hardest. Like, 
not cry because I don't want to show up and just have super red eyes and him to be worried or wonder what's going on. Or So I pull up to his office. He comes out. He gets in the car and... Hey, it's Christy. So she tells me in the interview exactly what happened in the car, but then later I found out that there was a video of this moment. And so I wanted you to hear the audio of the moment that he finds out the good news for yourself. Here it is. Hey. Hi. How'd it go? It's going uh-huh. good. Yeah. Uh huh. I want your reaction when you see the first photo. Is it A? That's one. That's not two, is it? It's two. No, it isn't. It's two. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Are you serious? Oh my god. It's, there's two. <laughs> Why? <laughs> there's two. How is this possible? Are you two babies in me? Uh, how long did it take to sink in it still hasn't (laughs) i mean they're four months old and i still sit at home and i'm like what am i doing with two how are there two Um, oh wow so how did the pregnancy go it was super smooth from there on it really felt super smooth i didn't have morning sickness Besides sleeping a little more, I felt fantastic. I didn't have any food aversions. I didn't have, we went hiking. Oh, great. I was out moving around. I was just very large. (laughs) (laughs) By week nine, I was sleeping with a pregnancy pillow. Oh, wow. I was out of my pants very early on. I had a bump going by the time I was eight weeks. Like you could see that I was much. Yeah. Larger. Two babies in there. Two babies. It's growing fast. And because because of my age, I was considered a geriatric pregnancy. Because of the cystic fibrosis, we knew I'd be high risk. Right. So and you did testing then so early we did, on? We did a lot of testing. We also found one of the best high risk doctors in the world. Mm-hmm. Luckily, he's in Santa Monica. And he was part of my insurance plan. Awesome. And so awesome. we he specializes not only in twin pregnancies, but extremely high risk. And he d- dealt with other patients with cystic fibrosis before. Wow. There aren't very many of us okay. in the city that have gotten pregnant, but he's had two before wow. me. Wow. So, wow. You're in a really, really yeah. small category. Yes. So it was fantastic that we we were seeing him. We felt really great. Everything was going smooth. I was working full time. And we were super excited. Everything looked super healthy. Yeah. Now, forgive my ignorance, okay? Yeah. But how does the cystic fibrosis gene pass down? Was there ever a concern that the babies might get the carry the gene or is so that So they will um to get the disease you need one Mutation from each of your parents. From both parents. From both okay, parents. gotcha. And we got my husband tested okay. in that process of, okay, we're going to start trying. Let's meet with the other high-risk doctors. And so he came back negative. Okay. So we knew 100% the babies wouldn't have it. Gotcha. But at the same time, we knew that they would be carriers because mm-hmm. no matter – because I have two mutations and no matter what, they will get one 
gotcha. or the other from mm-hmm. me. So they will be carriers. So we will let them know when they, you know, get old enough. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you have this mutation. You'll need to be at your spouse tested once you go to have babies. Right. But I'm sure a lot of people um, carry it and they don't know. 25% of the population. Wow. Yeah. That's a high number. Yes. Okay. 25% of the population are carriers. And you usually don't know about it unless you have a family history mm-hmm. or you end up with a child with it. But most oh. people do not know that they have it. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Okay. So back to your experience with your pregnancy and your doctor, you have complete trust in your doctor. Mm-hmm. You feel very taken care of, which is awesome yeah. that, you, that you had someone who specialized in your specific mm-hmm. uh, needs, right? So nearby. Yeah. So you're growing, you're feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> you do all the testing, which is, I guess, mm-hmm. what we were talking about. Um, yeah. And the babies seem great. Yeah. And they're growing great. When did you find out great. gender? Or we, did you? Yeah. We did the very early testing because luckily I was old enough that my insurance company paid for it. <laughs> great. <laughs> and so at 12 weeks, we found out the gender. Wow. We had them put it in an envelope and we took it to my brother and sister-in-law's house and they set up for us to throw ninja stars at some balloons that were filled with paint with the colors. <laughs> That's such a badass way yeah. of doing a gender so, reveal. <laughs> so we went over to their house one weekend, and um, we all had bets, obviously. I had a dream the night before we found out that it was a boy and a girl. Hmm. And my husband, 100% of the time, was like, two boys. It'll be two boys. Well, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. And so he threw and hit the first balloon, and it came back boy, mm. which was really exciting. I threw and hit the second balloon, came back boy. Wow. So we so. were so pumped. My dad was ecstatic. He has two girls. Mm. So he was so excited to have two more boys in the family. That's sweet. Um, so we got through first trimester very easily. Then we went in for our 20-week anatomy scan, and everything on both of them was looking great. For anybody who's had a singleton pregnancy, a twin pregnancy ultrasound takes forever because mm. you are just like, I don't know whose arm that is. I don't know whose spine that is. And the way that the boys were in my belly, they were kind of like head to butt. And oh. so it was really hard to tell which spine went to which head. So does that mean then <laughs> that one of the heads was in your pelvis and the other head was in your ribs? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So oh, one was stretched out. One was breached the entire – baby B was breached the entire pregnancy and baby A was head down the entire pregnancy. Wow. And you couldn't – for a while, it was really hard to tell whose head went to whose spine and mm. whose legs and arms went to which body. Mm-hmm. Ultrasounds took forever. Wow. So we go in for our 20-week ultrasound and everything with the boys was looking good and we get to the very end and my doctor checks my cervix and he says, you're showing signs of preterm labor. Ooh. And that was scary, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Because I didn't really know what that meant. We didn't know. And at that point, he looked back at my records and he goes, actually, your cervix was short to begin with, mm. which he was like, I wasn't worried about it then. It started at three centimeters. And now I have a lot more knowledge mm. on this. Um, usually they're somewhere around four and a half to five. Oh. Hopefully six centimeters is how long your cervix is to start with. Right. But it can sort of shorten. By the time you get to 20 weeks, you really want it to be in the four and a half to five inch range. And most people don't get their cervix checked, do they? I uh, they mean... usually try to at oh, the 20 week mark, okay. but they, if it's fine, they don't really mention it. Yeah, I didn't remember. Nobody checked mine, um, um, but I It's do... just part of the ultrasound. They'll oh, look interesting. At, they can, they can oh, see it through. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, so they just didn't tell me. Yeah, they probably it okay. probably looked fine, so there so wasn't any good. reason to mention it. That's but good. But he were... looked back and he said yours was actually already three centimeters when you were ten weeks. Ooh. So I started very short. My whole pregnancy started short, and they think for me it was just a birth abnormality. My cervix is just short. Gotcha. So to have that to start with, and then have a twin pregnancy, which is extra added weight. Yeah really put a lot of pressure on it. Yeah. And so at the 20-week mark, I was 1.8 centimeters when I should have been four and a half to five. Wow. And he then looked back and he hadn't mentioned anything to me, but he had been checking my cervix at each appointment, which at this point was once a month. And a month before that, it was just under three centimeters. Mm. And then within four weeks, it had gone down to 1.8. Wow. Okay, so what's the plan when you find that out? So he just, my doctor's bedside manner is that he knows how good he is. Hmm. And we all understand what that means (laughs) when I say it that way. Yes, okay. He is amazing. And by the end of my pregnancy, I absolutely loved him and I would 100% recommend him to everybody. But at that point, we didn't know him very well. Mm. And it was the scariest thing I think I could have ever thought of Yeah. because he looks at me and he goes, you're showing signs of preterm labor. You have three options. One, do nothing. I do not recommend that. You will lose this pregnancy. Oh my, okay. And so my husband and I look at each other and are like, whoa, all right. And he goes, option number two is something called a pessary. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. But it's basically a kind of like a really thick rubber band that they put around your cervix. Totally oh, close. okay. It says it's not something that normally is done in the United States. It's more of a European mm. tactic. Mm. He goes, option number three, which is what I highly recommend. I have done it thousands of times, and I know that it can be successful, is a cerclage. And it's basically a very thick shoelace that they stitch through your cervix. Ooh, I'm just imagining what that must feel like to have that done. So he says, in order to make this happen, I have to place this tomorrow morning. I will not let you go home. You will be on bed rest for the rest of your pregnancy. You will also be in the hospital for at least two weeks, possibly three, maybe the rest of your pregnancy. Oh, wow. That's a lot of info to get in one day, like one session. In like five minutes. Yeah, five minutes. (laughs) And so we went from, hey, let's go see if our babies are good to... Whoa, life just took a whole turn. We don't even know if this pregnancy is going to survive. Right. And we sit there and he's like, what do you want to do? It's like, I, we have to do the cerclage. He goes, good choice. Wow. <laughs> My I doctor, mean... luckily he's the type that he says, I will let you make your decisions mm-hmm. and I will give you the best possible outcome with the decisions you make. I will not tell you what to do, mm-hmm. but I will tell you what I think is the best option. Right. And then you tell me what you want to do, and I will give you the best success rate I can with your choices. That's but, what you should have. Right. But if he's saying cerclage is the way to go, then we have to. Luckily, at that point, too, we always had it in the back of the mind that bed rest was a possibility with twins. Mm-hmm. Um, we had thought that because of how high risk I was, bed rest was a possibility. We just didn't think it would happen till maybe third trimester. You know. And at this point, it's 20 weeks? 20 weeks. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a lot of your pregnancy to go, to be yes. stuck in one place. Yes. And, and bed rest, is that literally in bed? Like, what's the parameters yeah. of what you can actually do? Bed rest has all different kinds of parameters. Okay. It sort of depends on the severity of what you're trying to 
mm. keep okay. at bay. Right. A lot of doctors now don't recommend bed rest. They say that it can possibly cause additional complications. They say that it doesn't work. I personally feel that it does. Okay. You know, everyone has their own ideas, their right. own thoughts. Every they, pregnancy is unique. Every pregnancy is completely unique. And bed rest ranges anywhere from, you know, you can only be on your feet for an hour every day. You can only be on your feet for five minutes every day. Um, some people aren't even allowed to get out of bed to go to the bathroom because they don't want any sort of gravity put on your mm. cervix or put on anything. What was your parameters? So my parameters were I could get up and go to the kitchen and maybe throw a bagel in the toaster really fast. I got to shower every three days. Oh, wow. No walking, no driving a car, no sitting up longer than 15 to 20 minutes. If I am sitting, I need to kind of be leaning and get my belly weight onto something else off to the side. Like, don't sit all the you way lay, upright. Well, you can't lay on your back when you're pregnant anyway, so right. you had to lay on your side on to side. side. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, to try to keep as much weight off of my cervix as possible. Um, don't sit on any hard surfaces. So what about don't. going to the doctor then if you can't, you just can't drive, but I you could be in the car? I could to... be in the car, but leaning back. Leaning back, So okay. I always traveled with a pillow to kind of prop my belly up, mm-hmm. lean the seat all the way back, lay on my side, climb in. Yeah. It, wow. Not so... the most comfortable. Couldn't do anything, really. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds intense. Can yes. you just tell me briefly about the cerclage procedure? Because yep. that sounds like a nightmare. They tell me that I need a cerclage. We make that decision. He says, I'm admitting you tonight so that we can double check the boys and make sure that everything is going good in your pregnancy. Cerclage will be placed at 7 a.m. the next morning. It is a full operation, a full on procedure. And so I don't leave the hospital, basically, at that point. He sends me upstairs, they admit me in, and that's where I'm at. So the next morning, they get me up. I was luckily the first one in the day. He placed an epidural as if just mm-hmm. like a normal delivery, mm-hmm. but it was a full operation. You can't feel anything. Okay. And your Good. cervix really doesn't have that many nerves, which Thank is God. crazy. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. I couldn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. The hardest part was that you're on a bed that's elevated and then tilted. So you are at probably the most vulnerable I have ever felt in my life. My lower half is spread open. I am strapped into stirrups. My feet are up over my head Mm. and my hoo-ha is at shoulder height-ish for my doctor and everybody else in the room. Oh, wow. You're that far back. I am that far back. Yeah, that's very vulnerable. Almost upside down. And then I couldn't necessarily feel it, but I can only imagine I am probably like opened up down there mm-hmm. the widest I could possibly go. If there was anything that looked wrong down there, somebody would have seen it. Like <laughs> it was, yeah. it's, it's pretty crazy. For me, there was an operating room of probably 10 people in there double checking everything. I've got one team to watch one baby, one team to watch a second baby, an anesthesiologist, the doctor, the doctor's helpers, additional nurses. Like there's, it's a full team, and they are all able to see everything mm-hmm. going on down there. How but long did it take? It took about 20 minutes. Okay. And the worst part was just being upside down for 20 minutes. Other than that, it, it wasn't terrible. It is a lot more common than you think. Once you have it done, I actually learned about so many friends 
who had it done. That's sort of the thing I'm learning about motherhood, right? It's sort of like this secret club. Nobody really talks about the details. But once you go through the battle and win, so to speak, then everybody has a war story. Right. You know, everyone's like, oh, yeah, that happened to me too. Or, you know, they want to open up because it is true. It's hard to explain it to someone who's never gone through it, what it's going to be like. But that's why I'm doing this show, because I just want there to be some awareness of what it can be like. So you know the spectrum of possibility, and then it's not so scary in the end. Because when you're going through it, you feel like you're the only person in the world who has ever felt this way, or has ever had to deal with this, whatever it is, you know, insert 50 million different options of what could happen to you. Exactly. It was crazy. I was like, I've never heard of this. I have no idea. I've never known anybody who went through this. And I think it was like three or four days afterwards, someone who I hadn't talked to in a little while, it was like an acquaintance had reached out through social media and said, hey, how's everything going? And I was honest with her. I said, it's crazy. I just had a cerclage placed. It sort of has thrown our life in a in a loop And she was like, oh, that's nothing. She was also currently pregnant. She was about a month and a half ahead of me. And she goes, oh, that's that's nothing. I just had my third cerclage placed. I had an emergency one on my first pregnancy. And because of that, then they just, they place preventative ones for your next few. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? Mm -hmm. She goes, yeah, you know, it's fine. You get through the first one. And then they just put the, the next two in really, really early on at like 12 weeks or 14 weeks, depending on your doctor. And it's fine. You know, I was on bed rest for a bit for the first one. And now they just tell me to like stay off my feet for long periods of time. It's, it's totally normal. And I was like, this is crazy. I've never even heard of this. And there's actually, there's groups out there, obviously, of women who have been through this. It ultimately is called incompetent cervix Mm. when your cervix isn't able to hold a pregnancy. Hmm. And I had never heard of that before either. Right. Yeah. I just hate that it's called an incompetent cervix, but that's just the way it is, right? right. It's just like, just okay. Just call it. But also, thank God we live in a time where we can preserve a pregnancy that otherwise might be miscarried. Right. The hard part for me about this is that I was so lucky that my doctor was high risk. Hmm. But there are so many women who do not get diagnosed with this until they've lost a pregnancy. Right. And that was just unbelievable to me. I cannot believe that you have to lose a baby before somebody says, okay, well, the next time we'll put a stitch in so you'll be okay. Right. Why wouldn't you just check it? Why doesn't that become routine? You can see it in an ultrasound. You can see it in a transvaginal internal ultrasound. Why don't you just do that really fast right. and check it? Why does it take a woman losing a baby and having to go through that heartbreak before the next time around They'll yeah. say, okay, this time, we'll, we'll treat it this right. time. Well, maybe if more women know about it, then they can ask their doctor and hopefully change the care that they're receiving mm. to have it checked. Yeah. But yeah, I totally agree. Or maybe they'll have a baby really premature exactly. and not realize that. Well, that's the other thing too, is some women will have very premature babies and they chalk it up to, oh, your baby just came early or you had an infection or there was something else. And it was just incompetent cervix. And then they lose the next pregnancy because the next time your cervix has already been through a pregnancy, so it's not as strong. Mm-hmm. And I just, if I had had any doctor other than my own, this pregnancy would not have survived. Mm. And that is so hard for me to grasp that other women have to go through that solely because of the care that they got. Yeah. And I mean, I just know yeah. that we're super blessed that we got the opportunities and the boys are here. Right. And, oh, 
Whew. Well, hopefully yeah. that this brings some awareness to the frequency that this happens mm-hmm. and that if you have any concerns about that, then talk to your doctor and make sure that you push it until you get the care that you need. Yes. So at the same appointment, he tells us my cervix is shortening. I have to have a cerclage. I'm now going on bed rest. I'm going to be hospitalized. Um, this goes back to my doctor having not the most amazing bedside manner, he goes, oh, yeah, and baby A has extra fluid on him. Oh. That could mean anything. It could be nothing. But it could be that his digestive system isn't formed. It could be that mentally something's not right. It could be that he just doesn't swallow enough. Hmm. We don't know. I can see his stomach, so I think his digestive system is fine. But I'm just letting you know there's extra fluid on baby A. And then he walks out the room. And I was like, I do not like you right now. Oh, no. <laughs> I would not like that doctor at that moment either. I That's do ridiculous. not like you at all. Um, for me, personally, I was like, whatever. Play Sister Clodge, put me through surgery, put me on bed rest, throw me in the hospital the rest. Of- I don't care. I just want to know about my baby. What does this mean for, for baby A? Mm. Is he okay? Is everything okay? And so from that point on, that was my main concern at every appointment. Was there anyone that you could talk to on your medical team? Or is it just like Dr. Google? Like, what do you do after that? Both. You know? He luckily understood his bedside manner. And mm-hmm. he surrounded himself with very caring nurses. Okay, good. And the nurse that followed me through my whole pregnancy was so kind. And so she was like, look, we see this a lot. He's going to put him on medication. It'll be fine. Don't worry. I know he made it sound serious. That's just what he does. You mean after the baby's born, he'll put him on medication? No, what while you you're pregnant. Oh, how do they so do that? There's a medication that they take called Indocin, and it does help keep contractions at bay. It helps calm your uterus, and they will use it a lot of times if you're showing preterm labor through contractions, not cervix preterm labor, but contractions preterm mm. labor. But the side effect of it is it will lower the amount of amniotic fluid your baby has. Okay. And so some doctors will use it if there's too much amniotic fluid and they can't see a reason. That's interesting. So because I was going through a procedure, he was like, we'll put you on this anyway to keep your uterus calm. Now that you'll have a stitch in your cervix, it can cause other irritations, Mm -hmm. but we're really using it to decrease the fluid. The issue is that you have two babies. Mm -hmm. You have one baby with the right amount of amniotic fluid, and you have one baby with too much. So we have to balance the medication, and we have to test now every week Mm. to see and make sure baby B doesn't have too little fluid. Gotcha. So starting right after the cerclage, he had me in the hospital, and he did not want me to leave until I hit viability at 24 weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. And I was 20 and a half. Right. So I was in the hospital for three and a half weeks. I kind of had to fight for myself and just say, I promise I will follow your rules. If you really think I need to be here, I will be here. But I will follow your rules at home. Because at that point, the only thing they were doing in the hospital was coming in every 12 hours Mm -hmm. and taking my blood pressure and taking the heartbeats of the boys. And so luckily, at 24 weeks, he was like, you can go home. I'll let you go home. We hit viability. If they come in the next week or so, I feel confident they could survive. Oh, wow. Okay. Hold on. We have to interrupt for a very important message. Hell, I feel so alone. Let's normalize this. Let's normalize this. Let's normalize this. Let's normalize infertility. 
Infertility is more common than you think. According to the National Institute of Health, about 9% of men and about 11% of women of reproductive age in the United States have experienced fertility problems. Studies suggest that after one year of having unprotected sex, 12 to 15% of couples are unable to conceive. And after two years, 10% of couples still have not had a live-born baby. Look, the unfortunate truth is that the people in our lives, our friends and our family members, they're often silent about their own struggles trying to conceive. So sometimes it's helpful to hear the reality of that pain from people who are in public life and have been brave enough to share their own experience with infertility. For example, Nicole Kidman. She had her first biological child via a surrogate and was only able to get pregnant and carry her second child after years of heartbreaking failed attempts. She said, I had tried and failed and failed and failed. Not to be too detailed, but I've had an ectopic pregnancy, miscarriages, and I've had fertility treatments. I've done all the stuff you can possibly do to try and get pregnant. Every woman who has been through all those ups and downs knows the depression that comes with it. Michelle Obama conceived both of her children through IVF following miscarriage. In her book, Becoming, she says, fertility is not something that you conquer. And two committed go-getters with a deep love and a robust work ethic can't will themselves into being pregnant. When Michelle finally became pregnant, it ended in miscarriage. And that was an experience she describes as lonely, painful, and demoralizing almost on a cellular level. What helped her cope with the experience was talking about it with female friends who shared their own miscarriage stories. And she and Barack eventually used IVF to conceive both their girls. Emma Thompson also struggled for years with infertility, and she had her first daughter after a miscarriage. She wanted to have another child and tried multiple rounds of IVF, but it never worked. In an interview, she said, We tried to have another child. It didn't work. And I went into a deep clinical depression. It's only now that I no longer count other people's children or judge myself harshly for not providing my daughter with a sibling. Courtney Cox struggled to get pregnant and had multiple miscarriages before eventually turning to IVF and successfully giving birth to her daughter. And Tyra Banks and Chrissy Teigen also tried for years to get pregnant before turning to IVF, and Tyra even used a surrogate. Based on my research, it does appear that not as many men are as open to talking about infertility as women are. But... The famous TV chef Gordon Ramsay is one man who has been very candid about his own struggles with fertility. He has talked publicly about having low sperm count, and three of his children were conceived through IVF. Difficulty trying to conceive is not anything to be ashamed of. Over 8 million babies have been born as a result of IVF. We are living in a time of history that gives you options, and some people just have a few more speed bumps on the road to meeting their baby. You're not alone. This is normal for a lot of people. Let's normalize this. So he let me go home, and that was fantastic, but under the stipulation of five minutes on your feet, Mm. showers every three days, no cooking, no driving, do not sit up. All of those. Wow. So <laughs> yeah. this put a huge shift in what your plans were, I'm sure, yes. because you had still been working, right? Yeah. So I. So what happened with your with your job? What, I was, work freelance. Okay. But I had to call them and say, 
hey, guys, I am done. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to find somebody to replace me. And they were very understanding, which was fantastic. And they said, that's fine. Do what you've got to do. Luckily, in the state of California, I couldn't imagine not living in the state of California at this point. I agree. But our state has short-term disability, Mm -hmm. which I was able to get on for this reason because I couldn't work. It is super helpful. Mm -hmm. I got on that on the end of my pregnancy. And I thought, why why would everyone not do this? It's just basically free money. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not free. You pay into it by working hard, but it's there. Yeah. And it's easy for the doctor to Mm -hmm. sign the application. But not all states have it. Mm -hmm. Like if I was in any number of other states that would have been it. I'm just, now I don't have any money. Mm-hmm. And just to have that little bit was helpful. Oh, of course. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of quit my job, stay at home. We had to cancel baby showers because I couldn't do that. Cancel uh, baby moon trips that we had planned. Mm. No more putting together the nursery, no more shopping, no more anything. Wow. Literally. Um, my mom luckily was able to come up She stayed with me Monday through Friday while my husband was at work so that she could help cook and sort of get the house ready and help me clean through stuff. That must have been both very helpful and you probably felt very loved by that, but also very frustrating because that nesting phase is so, that instinct is so crazy when you are about to have a baby and you probably felt, I mean, I'm projecting, but I feel like I would feel frustrated not being able to like get up and do all the things that I'm itching to do. I mean, if you've ever tried to cook a meal with your your mother... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's fine, Uh right? But you mash your potatoes one way and she mashes hers the other. And they Mm -hmm. all come out the same. But it's really frustrating to watch somebody else mash your potatoes differently. (laughs) Now imagine like watching somebody go through literally every closet you have in your entire house. And you can't even get up and know what closet they're going in through. It was amazingly helpful. It really was. And I am so grateful that she was able to come up and she was able to be there and help. We couldn't have made it. Yeah. But I did mentally shut down probably for the first week that I got home. You know, I used all my mental strength to make it through the three weeks of hospitalization. And I just got home and was like, this is so hard. I'm, I'm stuck in this bed. I know that I can do this, but... I just need to shut down. And I I think I slept. I didn't really talk to anybody for probably a week. I wasn't even really hungry. Did you feel depressed? I would say, yeah, that's probably the only time I felt depressed during this whole thing. Understandably. You know, I had zero interest in anything. I didn't have Mm -hmm. the TV on. I didn't have music on. I didn't watch anything. If you could change anything about that time period, is there anything that you would have done differently, like to help someone else who might be going through it, perhaps like something that could have helped your mental health a little more? I'm just trying to think. Yeah, I would say that the most important thing that I eventually had to really remember was that this is such a short period. Now that I'm on the other side, Mm -hmm. it is so small in the scheme of life. Mm-hmm. that it feels awful at the time. I'm yeah. stuck in bed. I want to nest. I want to go to my baby showers. I want to do everything that everybody I've seen got to do. It is so easy to just kind of fall into that. This is awful and 
I really wish that this wasn't happening and why is it me and why is it happening to me? Once you get to the other side, it is so small and none of it actually matters. That's true. It's hard It's hard to feel that way yeah. though, at the time. It's hard and you feel like everything's sort of falling apart and what you really wanted to have happen, all of your – all these fantasies you have about mm-hmm. that amazing pregnancy completely change. I now exist in – this bed with this one pillow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now that I'm on the other side, it's like a blink of the eye, mm-hmm. the amount of time I spend in that bed. I don't even remember it. And so that's what I would say is just keep focusing on the final outcome. Right. The final outcome is two healthy babies or one healthy baby or just healthy pregnancy mm-hmm. and keeping them in as long as possible. Yeah, And once I really was able to kind of wrap my head around, like, this will pass so fast and I won't even, this will be a story that I tell and I won't even remember very much of it. It got much better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it took about a week to kind of come to terms, but mm-hmm. then, then it got better. Good. Yeah. I mean, it always does. <laughs> but yeah, it, I think that is the hardest part is when you feel like you're, it's never going to end. Yeah. Since you knew one of your babies was breech and you were high risk from the beginning, did you assume that you'd have a C-section always or or what was your birth plan as as this was happening? My birth plan as soon as I found out it was twins was C-section. Okay. The if you don't know much about twins, the possibility of delivering one naturally and then needing a C-section for the second one is very high. Mm-hmm. And For me, the thought of having to have both parts of me heal scared me, and I did not want to go through that. Um, I would have done the same thing, because that (laughs) is a very intense experience. Yes. Uh, So you can go through, you know, 48 hours of labor with twin Mm -hmm. A, Mm -hmm. and still have to then have an emergency C-section with twin B. Yeah. They will almost always make you deliver in an operating room. Mm. you probably won't be able to you I mean you never know you can always find places that will let you deliver how you want to deliver right yes but most doctors most hospitals will make you deliver in an operating room right well you especially probably because you are high risk right no matter what I was going to be delivering so it's unfortunately right off the bat I kind of had to let go of any sort of additional ideas of you know a very calm delivery experience, mm-hmm. you know, water delivery, home delivery, any of those off the table mm-hmm. because it's going to be in an operating room. I'm going to be surrounded by multiple teams of people. I have twins, so there will be two full NICU teams, whether the boys need them or not. Right. I will have doctors there and nurses there, and it will be bright and very medical. And so it just got to where it was like, we might as well just do a C-section. Mm-hmm. And know that if there are complications, they'll be taken care of. Right. And was it going to be a scheduled C-section or were you going to wait as long as possible and see if you started going to labor? Uh, We were scheduled. Okay. And we did have it scheduled for 37 weeks. I had a delivery scheduled at that point. Okay. They put me on the books. If we make it here, great. Uh, Fantastic. Great. So for 17 weeks, that was the plan. You were going to be on bed rest for 17 weeks just to tie it together. So. As you're nearing the 37 mark, like what, what's going, are you feeling any Braxton Hicks? Like what's, because yeah. you're so in tune with your body. So tell me what was happening as far as. Because of the cerclage placement, it caused me to have what's called irritable uterus. Oh. If you have that, you'll know about it 
most people haven't heard about it. It basically is that your any little movements can cause Braxton Hicks or actual contractions. Things like if I got up and if I waited too long to go to the bathroom, I could give myself contractions for six hours. If I didn't drink enough water, if I sneezed too hard, if I turned to grab a book. Did you say for six hours? Yeah. I could have contractions for up to six hours. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, Anything, any little thing. If I twisted too much, if I coughed too hard, if I got out of bed the wrong way, I could cause myself to start having contractions because my uterus at that point was stretched super thin because of the twins. And because I had the stitch placed in my cervix, it just irritated everything. And yeah, I could have contractions. They, at that point, I would have to monitor them. They were never very strong and never super uncomfortable, but they would just happen, and they would happen about every five minutes for up to six hours. Oh, my gosh. And I would just have to make sure that they stopped or didn't get closer together. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. You are like a warrior woman. Um, like yeah. patience. The patience I'm sure that you had <laughs> to you. have is really, really to be commended. <laughs> I can tell you there were days that just I would just get so stressed out that they would happen. And then, you know, I learned that there are positions that to lay in mm-hmm. to get them to stop faster, mm-hmm. luckily. But you just wow. sort of have to ride wow. it out and hope they don't get closer together. And so I lived, I lived in that life from basically 20 weeks on of just monitoring contractions. Wow. I would get them probably every other day, every two days. Oh my and goodness. so it would be just, is today the day? Are the boys old enough if today is today? Are they right, right. far enough along in gestational age? Do you think wow. they'll be healthy enough? And then they'd go away and I would get that relief. Of like, okay, today's not the day. So tell me then how far did you make it? Did you uh, make it to your scheduled C-section? The day before my I hit 34 weeks, I woke up and I was supposed to have an appointment anyway. And I was having the contractions I normally have. Mm. And that was fine. That's all normal. And about a half an hour into them, it's like, that one felt a little weird. Let me see if I can get them to go away. And a half an hour after that, they hadn't calmed down at all. And my muscles were kind of different. They were moving differently than what they normally do. So, you know, I told my husband, like, this isn't normal, but we're headed down to the hospital anyway. So he goes, should we rush? And I was like, no, I think we're fine. I'm going to take a shower because I get the feeling this will be my last solid shower Mm. for a while. (laughs) But I also decided I wasn't going to eat. And this was a Friday morning. And I was like, in case I have to deliver, let's bring a bunch of food. But I know that it'll be a C-section and I know they won't want me to eat. So I'm not going to eat anything. And so we call my doctor on the way down and we let him know, hey, I think I'm having contractions. Should I see you guys or go straight up to labor and delivery? Hmm. We go up to labor and delivery after he tells us, yeah, just go straight there. They get me on a bed monitored. At this point, because I'd spent three weeks in there and we had also been doing heart monitoring every two weeks for the boys as we got closer, Mm -hmm. I knew the whole team. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I knew everybody up there. I knew all the nurses. I knew my way around the hospital. Uh, It was actually very comforting. It felt kind of like Mm. home showing up there with everybody. They hooked me up, and um, I'm having contractions every 30 seconds. Oh, wow. And didn't even realize it. So with the cerclage, 
Are you able to dilate with that or is this restricting it's you? It's restricting Okay. Me. It's my body fighting against the stitch. Ooh. So was that very painful? You know, you, or were you for feeling me, any I pain couldn't yet? really feel it. Okay. It, there was extra pressure down there mm-hmm. and it did, it did feel like because the contractions were different, it did feel like my body wanted to do something it couldn't. Gotcha. Um, that's probably the best way I can describe mm-hmm. it. Um, besides the cystic fibrosis and the geriatric pe- pregnancy, twin pregnancy, cystic fibrosis, I also have a blood clotting disorder. Oh. So I was on blood thinners through the entire pregnancy. Wow. That was made things kind of nervous because if we go into an emergency delivery and I've taken blood thinners that day, mm. like we've got to combat that before they can cut me open. Right. Obviously. Right. And then as the pregnancy went on, the doctor started wanting to see me every week. And then luckily, once we hit the 30-week mark, his attitude changed. What I didn't find out about until after I had delivered the boys is that all of my doctors didn't think I would make it past 28 weeks. What? They had all secretly been talking and were like, if we hit 28 weeks, we will be very happy. But we do not think she'll go past 28 weeks. Wow. And they and, probably didn't want to tell you just for, right. I mean, why would they tell you? Why would they tell me? There's it didn't no happen that way. Yeah. So I hit 28 weeks. And at the 28-week appointment, my doctor had his attitude started to change a little bit. 29 weeks, we made a joke and he laughed in the appointment. And we were like, what? <laughs> oh my gosh. And then we hit 30 weeks, and he was so happy, and we saw a completely different doctor. Wow. And come to find out, there's something called physician's anxiety, and it's when a doctor is so nervous about their patient that they just cannot relax. relax. And he had physician's anxiety about me until I hit 30 weeks, and we were feeling that in every appointment. Wow. He just didn't want to uh, get invested, sounds Mm -hmm. like. Yeah. So he he was kind of holding his own. He didn't want to get invested. He just wanted to focus and make sure the pregnancy made it. And then once I hit 30 weeks, and that's kind of his point where he's seen so many pregnancies, so many high risk, that he starts feeling really confident about the survival of the babies, he became this whole different guy. He was so happy, so excited. Aww. We were laughing and joking through all the appointments. And then I hit 32 weeks, and then I hit 33 weeks, and then I got to 34, the day before 34 weeks. So they were in there for an extra six weeks over what my doctors oh, expected, wow. That's which was great. amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. And so now now we're at the doctor, at the hospital. They've checked me in. They know that I'm having contractions, but it's Friday, and I'm super high risk, and they do not want to deliver Friday because the high risk team isn't in till Monday. Oh, so they decide that they're going to try to push it all the way through the weekend. This is the end of part one. Stay tuned next week and subscribe to hear the second part of this beautiful birth story. Here's a little preview. They told him, they were like, all right, get ready. Your first baby's coming out. And he stands up, he starts taking photos. They pull the first one out. He starts screaming and crying. <laughs> and that is, that's the best feeling in the world when you hear that cry after being so worried and hoping and then you just hear them scream and you're like everything works he's healthy he's doing good and then a minute later they tell my husband 
Baby B's coming. Are you ready? Turn around. Now my husband has no idea what to do. He's like, I'm taking photos of this baby. I want to go kiss my wife. Wait, there's a second baby coming. What am I supposed to be doing? He is just standing in the middle of the operating room, turning in circles. He has no idea what he's supposed to be looking at. I cannot wait for you to hear the conclusion of this very special birth story. If you enjoy this show and you want to give back to me, please rate, review, and subscribe. Another way to support this show is buy me a cup of coffee. Mm, Why not? There's a link in the show notes to send a one-time donation. Visit birthshow.com, birthshow.com for some helpful free resources. And you can follow us on Instagram at birthshow, at birthshow for more encouraging and fun content. Thanks for being with me today. I appreciate you. And I cannot wait to be together again next week. I'm Christy Williams, and this is Birth. This is a Sync Studios production.